Hello, and welcome to A View from the Perch, a podcast covering important financial topics from the perspective of two certified financial planners. Each week, we give a brief market update, discuss current economic conditions, and provide education on a financial subject. Now, here are your hosts, Bill Parrott and Spencer Nguyen. All right, Bill, new week, same question. How are the markets? Again, they are rocking and rolling. Uh, the S&P 500 up 362. Okay. Small caps smoking at 6.5%. International markets up 3.05. And the bonds, long-term bonds, 221. So uh, we're getting uh, a quad win across the board here this week. Yeah, and small caps have kind of been a laggard um, for a little bit of time. What's kind of causing this significant rally that we're seeing? Well, they've been a laggard for a very long time, <laughs> uh, small caps. It's been very frustrating. Um, well, it all goes back to, to lower interest rates. Mm-hmm. We had very positive uh, inflation data, and uh, the 10-year yield fell significantly. And when rates fall, small caps typically do very well, better than large caps. Interesting. Is that just because they're more interest rate dependent or people, they're just smaller so they get more violent swings? So large companies like Apple, Microsoft, they don't really need banks for financing to grow their business. Yeah. Uh, small companies do. You know, they, they need... Uh, the help of others to get them going. And typically it's going into uh, the credit markets. It's borrowing from lenders, things like that. And so they're more rate dependent than large caps. It's a generalization, of course, uh, yeah. but typically small caps need financing uh, more so than, than large caps. And again, that's a generalization, but that's one reason why small caps have been running here lately is because interest rates have dropped significantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes total sense. And the bond market is dictating these rate drops because the Fed hasn't really, they came out and paused and said, we're probably not going to raise rates, but now it's the market's really being the one that's moving it now. Yeah, the market's taken over. The bond vigilantes are back and uh, they are driving rates down uh, on the 10, well, the longer term rates, 10 mm-hmm. plus. And, and the Fed is pretty compliant. They're saying, yeah, you know, data looks pretty good. Uh, they're, they're still leaving the door open for potential rate hikes, yeah. but I think the market is realizing that's probably not going to happen in the near term. And I think most of the project, projections mm-hmm. and predictions for rising rates have gone to zero. Wow, that's great news. And then especially with the CPI number coming out on Tuesday being cooler than anticipated, that gave a really big relief to stocks as well. Yeah, the inflation rate right now is at three two four. We were over at nine percent last year, so that I mean that's a, a huge drop. And it the, the last report it fell about twelve and a half percent, but also producer price index is down as well. It's down about ten percent to two four four. So when you have these metrics that the Fed watches falling, uh, that gives uh, the market hope. The stock market and then rates come down and that benefits again pretty much every asset class yeah no, that makes sense and it's always good having this conversation where it's good news and <laughs> we're not well, on the defensive 
We'll we'll take it. We'll take the good news. Cool. All right, let's transition over to our empowering education. And this week we're talking about FOMO. Uh, if you don't know what FOMO means, fear of missing out, and especially FOMO when it comes to investing and trading. So kind of why uh, why would people be having FOMO right now? Well, the market is is rocking. You know, if you look at the uh, S and P, it's up seventeen percent this year. The Nasdaq's up thirty four percent. And uh, when stocks rise, people get anxiety, like mm-hmm. I'm missing out. I need to get in the game. And they're talking to their, their buddies at the water cooler who make a lot of money. And they're like, I need to get in. And uh, they get in at all costs, at any cost. Yeah. And let's talk about getting in at all costs, at any cost. So kind of what is really the big disadvantages of having this FOMO trading and, and getting in when it's kind of, you start to get that anxiety and that fear of missing out of, of the big rallies. Yeah, I think there's there's two ways to look at it, uh, you know, greed and fear. Uh, mm-hmm. So FOMO uh, is the greed side. Like they're, they don't want to miss out on making a lot of money. Uh, so they jump into the market. Uh, they don't pay any attention to valuations. They don't pay any attention to timing. They don't pay any attention to other metrics. They say, oh, it's going up, get me in. But, you know, on the flip side, the fear uh, like we saw last year, people said, give me out. I don't care. I don't care what it costs. Give me out. I don't want to be in the market anymore. And and when you panic, uh, you're typically selling at the worst time in, in the cycle. And, and on the greed side, on the FOMO, you're typically buying at the worst time mm-hmm. in the cycle. So people that are uh, you know, looking at this almost as a binary trade, right? get me in or get me out. Like there's no middle ground. I'm all in, I'm all out. And, and what, what I found is people that trade that way, uh, they, they are too short-term focused and they don't have a plan. Mm-hmm. And they're just at the whims of the market, at the whims of their friends, at the whims of social media. And when they react, it, it costs them money on the upside and the downside. Yeah, it seems like you're saying... They're buying high and selling low when the market is at its highest, you're buying, which is not advantageous. And then when the market's at the lowest, which we know that the market is volatile, that's when they're selling. That makes sense. Okay. Absolutely. So you look at people that are getting in the market now. So they've waited, the market's up 17%, and they say, okay, I'm going to go in. And then if the market crashes or corrects or pulls back, they're like, oh, I knew I shouldn't have got in. And then they sell. And it just compounds the problem. And another, I think, FOMO indicator right now is the level of assets in money market funds. Uh, It's almost $6 trillion in cash. People are uh, right now lured in by the 5% interest rate. Oh, I can get 5%. That's where I'm going to put my money. Mm -hmm. And... They're starting to look at the market up 17%. They're like, wait a minute. And so that money could come out and go into the market. But uh, it, it, it's surprising to me that money market rates are at an all-time high, despite the fact that we're having a very good year in the market. And so I think that's still the fear from, mm-hmm. from last year. People are worried that we're going to repeat 2022. And I think that also goes back to COVID and the volatility. When people say, you know what, I can get 5% and not worry about it. I'm going to mm-hmm. do it. But at some point, FOMO is going to kick in. Yeah, at some point, you're going to be the the kid that says, I want to stay home. I got a stomach ache from school. And then you're looking out the window with all your friends playing on the cul-de-sac. And you're like, oh, man, I wish I wouldn't have stayed home from school. 
Um, but yeah, that makes complete sense. And so really what it comes down to is, I think, market timing. And so it, it just seems as if FOMO is branded I this idea of market timing where it's, I want to get out when it's bad and I want to get in when it's good. So what are kind of the failures of market timing? Is it a good strategy? Do people should do it or no? Well, other than losing a lot of money, uh, it, it, there's not a real good compelling reason to try market timing. Uh, you may be right once. I'll give you that. Like you may hit the bid at the right time, make a lot of money, but I've never seen people do it two times or three times. Back during the, the GFC, the great financial crisis, I was talking to some prospects and clients and they said, you know, I sold all my assets in 2007 because I just felt like a recession was coming. I said, that's awesome. I said, when did you get back in? And oh, I've never gotten back in. And the market rebounded significantly. So they missed one of the greatest bull runs of all time. Mm. And I don't think they were telling me the truth either that they got all out. <laughs> but uh, when you when you try market timing, you're, you're typically paying elevated prices when you do get back in and you're selling at lows. It just doesn't work. Uh, and here's some data from dimensional funds. And this is um, going back to 1926. So you have your best one-year return and and um, and your worst one-year return. Now, this is not a calendar year. It's just rolling periods. So the best one-year return you could have made on your money was during the Depression. You could have made 160%, uh, but you could have lost 67% also. Over a 10-year period, you would have made 21%, and you would have lost about 5%. Hmm. And over 20 years you made 18% and you made 2%. So your low was actually positive. And, and the point to that is over a rolling 20-year period, the markets have never lost money. Yeah. On a one-year basis, it's a flip of a coin. And so people that try to trade, that are lured in by FOMO, uh, they basically have a 50-50 chance of making money. And that's when they get frustrated when the market goes down. So again, it's people who are short-term oriented, who don't have a plan. People who think in decades usually end up making a lot of money, creating generational wealth. Yeah, I those are some really good points because I have some dimensional data as well. And then I'm glad you talked about your uh, colleague or friend that got out during right before the great financial crisis because this one is actually from 1998 and it's mm -hmm. the growth of a thousand dollar investment. And so if you just would have kept it in the Russell 3000, which is a small cap uh, in index, it would have grown that 1000 from to 2022 to $6,356. However, yeah. if you were to miss the best week, and what's crazy is the best week of that span was actually the week ending in November 28th of 2008. So wow. right, right during the craziness I was going in. So if he got it in 2007, I can't imagine he'd get back in in November of 2008. Yep. You miss the best month, your investment decreases to $5,076. And the best month was in April of 2020, which we know was crazy time because of COVID, right? We had that huge correction. And if you yep. got out then, you, not imagine you'd probably get in in April of that month. And then the best three months, if you would have missed that, it's $4,480. And 
and that was in June of 2022, ending so from about April um, to June of 2020. And then the best six months was your uh, your investment would decrease down to 4,125, and that was the best six months ending in 2009 in September. So during some of these crazy corrections and, and really volatile times where a lot of people will take out their money, Mm-hmm. Those are normally the times in which right after that you're not able to really have that turnaround where you're having some of the best years or some of the best periods during this 30 year period that Dimensional did a study of. Yeah, if you look at a history of the best days in the market, they're usually the day after the worst day in the market. Mm-hmm. So, and just to be clear, the Russell 3000 is an all cap index. All it's cap, a large yeah. cap focus. Yeah, large cap. Um, but your point is valid in that um, your best returns usually come during the worst days. And and people who try to, you know, time the market will never get those returns ever. Yeah. Perfect. Well, look at this week alone um, with small caps up six and a half percent. So if you were not in small caps last week, you're not going to recover that six and a half percent. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. So you're already behind the curve in um, in your returns. In our models, we have large, small, mid, international, because we, we just never know who, when, where, what, or why stocks are going to move. And if you're on the sidelines waiting for the optimal time to get in, you're never going to get in. Yeah, that's a good point. And if you get in, you're probably missing that huge upswing that's going to propel your investments forward. Yeah. Perfect. Well, I think that's a little, that's a great uh, talk on FOMO and investing. Got anything you want to add on or is there any other data you like to bring up? So let's take a quick story. We, we send out a monthly newsletter and um, this one client who's pretty much in cash asked me if those equity returns were real because we were showing the returns uh, over time and the average annual return, as you can imagine, is about 10%. And and this goes back uh, over one year to 20 years. And I said, they're very much real. And so you're going to start to see that FOMO kick in with people that have a lot of cash, treasuries. And if especially if the market continues to march on, uh, that $6 trillion could come in the market which would fan the fire even more. Yeah, that's that's a good point. We have $6 trillion just sitting on the sideline. And if rates continue to drop, right? I mean, I guess this is based on your expertise, but it's, if that get, number gets down to five and then maybe down to four and a half and then maybe down to 4.25, is that where people are really going to start, hey, I really want to start getting back into the market or are they okay with staying in the money market? Uh, some of that money will come out, but here's here's the challenge to that. As rates fall, the market goes higher. So the market might be 10 or 20% higher from today yeah. because rates have gone down significantly. So they lose on two fronts. They lose because they're getting less income and they lose because the stock market's a lot higher. And it's a dangerous game to play. And mm-hmm. and that's where if you go look at the Great Recession or the COVID period, people were forced to take on more risk because interest rates were at zero. Yeah. But the stock market went up significantly, you know, at the end of the Great Recession and the Great Financial Crisis and the end of COVID. So these people were forced to go into equities at the wrong time. And that's why we always 
have and recommend a balanced portfolio of stocks, bonds, and cash because you get advanced, take advantage of all markets at all times. Yeah. Yeah. I think have a diversified portfolio and have a plan and buy and hold, right? Just let it ride. Yeah. Those, those three right there will solve most of your problems. <laughs> Perfect. Well, let's transition over into our um, faithful finance. And this week we're talking out of first Timothy 16, 17 through 19. And this is Paul kind of exhorting Timothy on how to lead his congregation and lead his church. And he says, as for the rich in the present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on uncertainty of riches, but on God who provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future. So they may take hold of what is truly life. And I think this correlates perfectly to what we're talking about. Because if you're having FOMO and if you're trusting in your material riches, as the market goes, so does your level of security. I think your anxiety level, I honestly think your confidence and even joy level is really correlated to how the S&P or the Dow or the NASDAQ is doing. And Paul here is exhorting the believers to really divert from that and place their trust in the Lord and mm. in a very practical aspect of saying one way to start trusting in the Lord with your material wealth is to be generous, which I think is a really good practice because it's giving what you have or your sustenance and saying, I'm going to let that bless others and I'm going to rely on the Lord to really provide. And I think that was a, a great point Paul was making and something that anybody who's ever been generous, I think, can attest to. Yeah, and we're coming into the giving season and it's very hard to feel sorry for yourself or feel down if you're generous with your resources. It, it, it's almost impossible that when you're giving money to others, it, it, you just can't feel bad about yourself because the stock market, there's no middle ground. It, it's either up or down. It's rare that the market ends the day unchanged. Yes. And so if you put all your faith in the market, if the market's up, you're in a good mood. If the market's down, you're in a bad mood, which is not healthy. And so uh, being generous uh, is really the best way to go. And, and, and also, if you're hoarding your treasure here, it's, it's not going to do much for you. I mean, you can only spend so much money. Absolutely. And I think one of the bigger misconceptions that I see, especially with generosity, is oh, why why would the Lord call me to be generous with the things that I've made? And hmm. it's this idea the Lord needs nothing from us. We see that in Acts, is that he's completely complete and fulfilled with him, the triune nature of himself. He doesn't need anything from us. Generosity is really a blessing for us. Because mm -hmm. like you said, if we start being generous, we have that experience, we have that joy, we have that peace that comes from that seem very, very opposite in nature, giving something and then receiving security mm -hmm. is very interesting, but that's kind of what occurs. So the act of generosity is a blessing for the person being generous just as much as it is the person being blessed. Yeah, and I think the key to generosity is expecting nothing in, in return. Like mm. you're, not, you're not giving money to somebody in hopes that it'll benefit you directly. 
uh, though it will spiritually, but it's not a quid pro quo. In um, when you give, you should really give out of your heart and, and not expect anything in return. And, yeah. and that's where I think you get the best benefit uh, to yourself by helping others. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. Well, so I'm going to try to be more generous this week. So that's, that's a good challenge for me. Uh, Bill, what do you want to leave our listeners with? Well, you know, with this podcast, we talked about people that trade and get into trouble. They're too short-term focused and they don't have a plan. Uh, you need a plan. You need to diversify your assets and you need to think long-term. And if you're worried about the market, buy treasuries. If your time horizon is three to five years or more, you need to be in the stock market, plain and simple. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Thank you.